Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag NFL. Wednesday rolled around and we were able to talk to Tom Brady. Uh, We had a great conversation, Bruce and I. We talked to him for over an hour and a half. And he made it clear in the conversation that uh, he was very, very interested. It was almost like a recruitment on his part, telling us why it would make sense for him to come to Tampa Bay. That's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers general manager, Jason Light, right there telling ESPN's Mike Greenberg that in their first phone call with Tom Brady on the first day of free agency, Brady was selling them on why he should go to Tampa Bay. So, Tom wanted in all along because he'd already done his homework, which, judging about everything we ever heard about the guy, really isn't all that surprising. Tom sold them because Tom didn't have very many offers. In fact, he had zero offers. So he was trying to sell them because he didn't have leverage. The best he could come up with was uh, his buddy Grable in Tennessee. That's why he was selling them is because he wanted to play and he was drastically and quickly running out of options. Quarterback merry-go-round was settling in with other teams getting other players. But he got it. He's all set. Now the question is, when will he actually get to start? Because part of his preparation, you know, throwing with guys in the offseason and getting to know them and getting in the routine and all that, which apparently is really important to him. Well, NFL Players Association Medical Director Tom Ayer said he's optimistic the 2020 season will take place, but the union and the NFL will know a lot more in late May or early June. Of course, the metropolitan areas where... More people live or where the NFL teams are, and those seem to be the places getting hit hardest right now, so they're going to try to estimate when those hot spots begin to open up again. So maybe there'll be none of that off-season work, and it'll all start with training camp. Which, honestly, deep down, PK, don't you wonder how much they accomplished all the other times and how much they're just staying busy? Training camp for the NFL? No, the off season. You know when they get together for like a weekend in OTA in May, and, and oh, they okay. get, I'm I like, well, you. how important you. is that? I mean, how big an impact does that really have on winning? You know, hey, don't <laughs> denigrate organized team activity in September. I mean, I guess it can't well, hurt, but. No, I don't think it hurts by any stretch. But the thing about it is everybody will be under the same rules. If four teams had it and five teams didn't, just to use an example, or, you know, the whole league for whatever you want to say, 16 teams had it and the other didn't, then it might be different. But everyone's playing under the same rules. So at that point, you know, what kind of cohesiveness do you have in your team? You know, we talked about how Utah football, if it would have been last year this year, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal not having as many spring practices because they didn't have any very few questions to answer, right? Right. And this year, it's a different story. They've got so many new guys, and particularly they're counting on new guys who are not yet on campus being able to contribute. How is that going to play out? I mean, that's the big thing. I assume we're going to get to that. I haven't seen a rundown as far as uh, the conference, the Pac-12, discontinuing all activities until July 3rd. Okay, we'll get to it, then I'll say it when we get to it. <laughs> All right. DJ and PK. <laughs> Hashtag college basketball. And we're there. <laughs> Go ahead, PK. Well, what you <laughs> Spring sports well, all shut down. Yeah. Right, till May 31st. 
Well, you know, sitting around and I'm preparing to write something. I was writing it up last night. I always posted Wednesday mornings at a couple different websites. And one of the things that's not so much basketball, it is for football saying, you got Gary Anderson saying, well, if we don't get together by June 1st, we've got to seriously consider not having a full slate of games. And we know Bronco Mendenhall last week, and then listening to your interview that you did with Mark, Mark Harlan, saying they've got five possibilities, and it's we're getting very, very close to the time where we have to seriously take a look at the fall sports, and obviously football is the big dog there, but there's other sports, men's and women's, that play in the fall, obviously, and particularly with football, that they're going through the medical experts, getting their thoughts and all that stuff as far as how much time that they need with no ability to train together. I don't know what's going to happen June 1st. It doesn't look like when we get there that everything June 1st is going to be copesthetic, one of those words I can't spell. And so as we continue on with no end in sight, in fact, it's uh, restrictions are getting tighter, not looser, that it could impact and will likely at this point to Herb Street's comments last week impact the college football season. And yet there are still people out there who, I mean, when you hear this, you know, they, they canceled through May 31st. They have hope for June. The NFL says May or early June. Major League Soccer thinks that, and it's outdoors and it's just training, but they might be able to get teams together May 12, which sounds more like the Cuban timeline where he thought, you know, June 1 earlier or later, and he wanted to take the earlier side of that. So as the weather warms up in some of these cities and uh, maybe all this social distancing has a bigger impact, maybe, maybe there's hope for that. But Gary does kind of lay out the timeline, like, well, you can't just start playing September 1. You know, you need some June, July, August time to ramp up to make it safe. What Mark Harlan brought up was, you know, it's, it's the health of the student-athlete. Before they can have these big yeah. guys running around having these massive collisions, you know, you can't just clear them and then a week later have a game. Yeah, well, well my hope is that the churches are packed by Easter. That doesn't seem likely. Well, that's what the president said last week. Yes, but he has since come out and said uh, 30 more days of social distancing. So, two okay, weeks. Well, my hope then is the, tra- the churches aren't packed, uh, packed by that's, Easter. That's good. All right. Uh, also, the NCAA Division I Council voted Monday to grant an extra year of eligibility to all student-athletes in spring sports whose seasons were canceled. But that does not include winter sports. So a winter sport that lost its championship doesn't count. But the spring sports, who barely got going, if at all. I mean, maybe there's some baseball teams playing, what, 10 or 15 games somewhere in there? Softball played 23 by and large. Well, softball starts a week or so earlier than baseball. I think baseball they played around uh, 13 to 15 games, depending on weather, because everybody starts at the same time. And so with that in mind, yeah, I've got no problem with the spring sports. I thought it would have been silly to give winter sports because so many of the winter sports actually completed their season. Like, for instance, Utah, Weber, uh, basketball, Utah Valley, uh, you know, they had their Utah. conference tournament coming up. But a lot of these teams had already completed their season. So how do you give teams that completed a season another year of eligibility? It doesn't make any sense. So there was no way that the winter sports were going to get them when most of them, if not all, had completed 90% to 100% of their season. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Able to play baseball at all this year, and that is a big if. But if they're able to play, they might as well, within reason, 
try out every idea that has been on the table over the last few years and see what flies. That's Bob Costas. He's a traditionalist big time, but even he is saying, hey, this season's already going to be funky. So if you're thinking about doing something different, bizarro, cutting edge, well, why not give it a shot and see if it works? Because uh, we already know this year isn't going to match up to all the other years, and it makes perfect sense to me. What would you like to see him try, PK? Move the bag back? Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Is he talking about... Playoff formats, I assume? Yeah, but not... We're going to put uh, uh, four outfielders in the field like softball. I mean, he's not talking about changing the game. He's talking about changing schedules. Correct. I think right? he's talking about the format of the season. Yeah, yeah, adding extra wild cards, trying an extra round, whatever. Put your girls at catcher and a right field. You know, if you're playing a co-ed league, is that what we're talking about? Co-ed Major League Baseball. Coming your what? No, I don't think so. I've, having played in a co-ed league, the key to success yep. is to get some really good females. Absolutely. I played, in a, <laughs> I played in a league that had four outstanding females. And, could and you play won a lot, just right? Vir- oh, yeah, they could play virtually right. any position. You didn't need them to stick them at positions. They could play... Any position you wanted him to play, they could play because they were really good. And yes, it was fun. Boston Red Sox pitcher Chris Sale underwent Tommy John surgery on his left elbow on Monday, his 31st birthday. If you find that odd, given everything that's going on in the nation's hospitals, you're not alone. He waited 11 days after doctors said he needed the operation because of difficulty in scheduling during the coronavirus pandemic. Red Sox chief baseball officer said the team worked with doctors to make sure his procedure didn't burden an already stressed health care system. Uh, okay. I'm not sure I'm buying that. You buying that, PK? If nothing else, they wore masks in there, and I thought masks were at a premium. Maybe it was a different well, kind of mask, surgical mask, instead of the N95. Why do I know this? How did I learn this? Holy cow, what's, what's going on? Because you're bored. Yeah, that's it. There it is. Ding. You're you're like my sisters, man. You create things that don't really exist when you sit there and watch the news all day long. That's why I I try to just catch it in doses because it changes every 10 minutes. Uh, Yeah, well, are you telling me surprised that the rich and the privileged have access to things that regular people don't? No, I think we're seeing that with uh, who's getting tested and uh, who's waiting. Yeah. Pretty much everybody who's uh, rich and or famous was tested faster than my father-in-law, who got to wait five days, even though he had a temperature of 104. So, yes, anyone can explain it, and all I'll hear is, wah, 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 wah. That's all. That's all that will register with me. Well, it's not news. Cincinnati Reds catcher Tucker Barnhart raised a concern with regards to a compressed MLB schedule or a season that extends into late November or December, leading to more injuries. He's a player rep for the NBA Players Union. He told reporters moving forward, I don't think what you can do are things that are going to compromise the integrity of next season as well. What I mean by that is forcing the issue of getting so many games in that you risk injury and you risk major injury to players because you're trying to get in as many games as you can. And, you know, the whole proposal Scott Boris threw out there with the playoffs in December, that doesn't leave uh, much turnaround, especially for pitchers, because is there anything in – you know, running back's knee, I don't think, is in as much jeopardy as a pitcher's elbow. Am I right about that? Injuries off the oh, top of your head? Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, you go back. In the, it's total number of innings thrown. You go back and, and 
Gibson's Day and Drysdale. These guys, they're out of six seasons, they were completing all but two or three starts. There's a theory that the reason why there's injuries is because they don't throw enough. So depending on which camp you're in and what you want, what you want to go, old timers will say, give give them the ball and have them throw much, a lot, and then they'll, they'll work through their injuries. Because why were they able to throw so many complete games, which obviously increases the pitch total versus now you get anywhere near 100 and you're, you're coming out you're done. so which camp do you fall in i mean you know, to, then also you can argue well yeah they they blew out arms but then you look at some of these guys they pitch forever i mean kofax didn't and uh, now that the thing is that there were such they're they're literally multi-million dollar investments into someone's left or right arm so you have to treat it with kid gloves and so they can go back and forth so i don't know that anything is conclusive on that what is trending is brought to you by shamrock plumbing receive a free reverse osmosis system with the purchase of any water softener at shamrock plumbing 801-295-1690 that's shamrock plumbing all right coming up Aaron Roderick, BYU passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach. He's going to join us at 7.30. Jordan Pendleton, owner of Pendleton Performance, former BYU linebacker, will be here at 8 o'clock. And part two of the interview with Mark Harlan at 9 o'clock, right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. Man, I love Dallas. Really good sightseeing. You know, you can go to the Grassy Knoll, the Book Depository. Is it depository? Why do I say suppository? I was just going to let that slide. Yeah, one of those is not like the other. And you think, a book? That doesn't sound pleasant at all. I'm done with this book. Oh, no! Where would you Just li- keep it. Where would you like me to put it? I am done with it now. Go ahead and keep that encyclopedia. Yeah. A war and Peace. I'm not, not really interested in that. Pretty hefty book there. Catch Hans and Scotty every day from noon to 3. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, brought to you in part by Action Plumbing. Call Action Plumbing and get your winter furnace tune-up and safety check for $33 by calling Action Plumbing at 801-833-3333 or going to actionplumbing.net. All right, coming up at 8 o'clock, going to be talking with Jordan Pendleton, owner of Pendleton Performance, former BYU linebacker. Among the many things we can discuss with him, trying to stay in some semblance of shape. Like a lot of people, I go out for a walk in the neighborhood, and there aren't many people out, so it's safe. You cross the street and go down the opposite side if somebody's coming your way. Turned and went uphill. Uh-oh! Man! Physical conditioning slips fast. Talk with Jordan Pendleton <laughs> at 8 o'clock. Aaron Roderick's coming at you. find that funny? Me gassed going up the hill? You're out of breath. Yep. Yeah, I'm running four miles a day. Nice. Get it? You got a treadmill at home? Or you just got a no. path through the neighborhood? I go to a local park. It's a huge park. It's got uh, a huge path around it. That's got to be. Well, it's got to be close, if not close to a mile. It's got to be real close. And then uh, two full soccer fields, two uh, baseball fields with, you know, not full baseball fields, but full infields. Uh, so I just 
set the clock uh, on my phone at about 30 minutes, and then I run, and I could usually get uh, I get close to four miles in 30 minutes. Nice. Seven and a half, seven and a half minutes a mile, obviously. What I what I do is uh, I don't run consecutive. I'll run 15 minutes. If I want to run four miles in 30 minutes, I'll run uh, seven and a half, seven and a half, and then take a break. And so what I do is that there's a, a soccer field. Right? As I said, there's two full soccer fields. So I just run on the outsides because they've got the boundary lines and all that, the baselines and both lines, sets of lines. So I just run around that side, run, run around all those sides, and uh, I can usually get to two miles in 15 minutes, then take a break of uh, walk around for another minute or however long it takes. It takes you longer than a minute to walk around the whole soccer field and then start it up again. Got a question up today on our Facebook page, and the question is, if college football turns into a conference schedule only because they can only get in eight, nine, ten games, not the full 12. But if they go to a conference schedule only, what happens to independents like BYU? Yeah. I think it's a real issue. You know, under the theory, uh, Mark Harlan said he's got, you know, five, there are five different plans the Pac-12 is working on. Uh, I think BYU is going to have to have, you know, six or seven different plans. As an independent, it's a little different. Uh, and that is definitely one alternate plan. I think the most obvious, well, two things struck me as obvious right away. Independents will end up playing each other. Um, maybe this is where BYU gets that home game from Notre Dame, right? Notre Dame would be like, yeah, you can, you can have a home game, but it's got to be home and home. That's but the thing is, mine went to, yeah. Notre Dame's got a scheduling agreement with the ACC, and they're supposed to be playing five games a year. And I can't believe in a year that they're short on money that anybody's going to pass on a game with Notre Dame. That doesn't seem that doesn't seem to make any sense. So for those five weeks, I wonder that makes it's the it's the Thanksgiving theory in the Pac-12 PK that makes the ACC essentially a 15-team league for those five weeks. So does BYU pick up five ACC opponents just because they got an odd number and nobody's going to want to buy if they've already shortened the season? That's the first thing that's got to go away. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that because Gary Anderson had proposed uh, they play eight games in the Mountain West, right? Yeah. He he proposed eight games over a ten week period, so he he's proposing a double potentially buy. two. Yeah, so uh, I don't necessarily know. I mean, everything is up. I, you can't say it's going to be A, B, or C. Mark Harlan can't even say it's going to be A, B, or C. He's saying he's got five scenarios. Well, within those five scenarios, those things can change from day to day. So anything is possible here. To quote Kevin Garnett, when it comes to this situation that we're dealing with, so I don't know how that's going to work. In my mind, I'm thinking well the same thing with BYU. They've got this contract with ESPN to schedule these home games. ESPN isn't looking to break those. No. So what do they do there? So I don't know. It could could potentially impact them if they the Pac-12 could easily just say, hey, we're going to stick to our nine game schedule and that's it, and not worry about anything else and so if that's the case then then BYU's playing several uh well, three teams off the top of my head right and Utah ASU and Stanford this year I don't have the schedule in front of me but there might be more I think those are the three so what happens in those situations there I don't know this is something that uh, everyone is going to have to think about as we go but I think they're already thinking about them and then you got Herb Street saying the whole freaking season may not even happen so 
<laughs> it, it runs the whole A to Z gambit of all sorts of possibilities. But if I were BYU, I would be creating a contingency. I mean, you can't ask Tom because he, you know, he. I can get a easier to get a conversation with the Pope uh, than that, uh, as far as that goes, because it's not time for their roundtable. So. I don't know that he makes himself available. You can get Harlan on, but have you tried to get Tom Tom Homo on? Uh, I don't. I think Dave Fox has reached out to him, but I don't think he's heard back. Yeah, and obviously you already heard back from Harlan. Yeah. Oh, you're right about the Pac-12. That puts three games in jeopardy uh, right there. Stanford, Utah, and ASU. And a couple games of the Big Ten, so they don't have anything set up with the ACC. If that were to happen, it would have to happen on the fly, but that's part of having five plans. A lot of things are happening on the fly. Uh, the other independents would be the teams they'd end up playing. Well, we've seen them play UMass and Liberty. We could get more of that. New Mexico State, Army. Tom has said in the past that he's wanted to play the service academies, but it's hard to do it and it never works out. I guess that'd have to be one of the fallback plans. Army and Notre Dame. There's six independents right now with BYU. Yeah, and then it, well, yeah, there's seven total, right, counting the Cougars. And then they've got the North Alabama and what and they're, uh, uh, what do they call it, FBS? FCS. Uh, what are they playing? The big FCS. Oh, yeah, CS would be the, for championship. And then they, what are they in the Big South? Is that what they're in? And I think they're in the, they're like a, a BYU in terms of they got their football is separate from the other sports, if I remember correctly. Correct. I think they play in the Big South, and then the other sports are in some other thing. I'll take your word for it. I don't follow it. I see their football is in the Big South looking at it, yes. Yeah, well, I think the rest of the sports uh, are in another conference or other conferences. They, uh, and I think it's, they might even be in another division, too. They were independent in football last year, um, but they're listed, so maybe they're playing a league schedule this year. Yeah, I think they took the football program, put it in this, and then the others are in a separate one. I mean, I double-check it, but I think that I looked it up when they announced that they'd be playing North Alabama. Uh, so but that, that was a while ago, but I think that's what it is. So that game should be able to go. Hopefully all the games are able to go. <laughs> I mean, every single one of them. And they can, we can all get back to everything as normal as possible as soon as possible. I don't know how it's going to play out. But all this stuff is being impacted, potentially. Getting feedback from people on our uh, Facebook page. What happens if it's a conference-only schedule in a slim-down season and... Of course, for the, uh, for the half dozen independents, uh, an obvious issue. Jack says, uh, BYU's out-of-touch fans will say they're national champs because they didn't lose a game, but have finished undefeated. <laughs> Seems to be a common refrain. Agreed. Dustin says it looks like I won't see Wyoming beat Utah and Laramie this fall. Now that's a bummer. Wyoming fans <laughs> looking forward to that. Get the Utes in there again. Oh, I think they would be, yes. And that's early in the season, obviously. So the weather should be okay up there in Laramie. I don't know what time of day the game is going to be played yet. We won't know until we get much, much closer if, in fact, the game is even played. But I would think that uh, they would have a pretty good crowd there because you're getting an old rival who left you, you know. And now's your, now's your chance to show them. I'm not really sure the Utes thought that through when they scheduled Wyoming. 
What makes less sense, Northern Illinois or Wyoming? A Northern Illinois all the way. But they both don't make much sense. But Northern uh, Illinois is the less, more nonsensical. How's that? Less sensical. Yes. Yes, I actually don't have a problem with that. Uh, I, I still think they need to play uh, a big-time Power 5 opponent in, in the one of the three games rather than going back and forth. So, I mean, that's, I don't know. That's, that's, at, at least, uh, at least uh, you have something there that uh, gives you some – there's something there, you know, to play Wyoming. At least there's history. And, You're tapping into history. Yeah, that, that's and, what I'm trying right. to say. The tradition and all that. But the home-and-home home with Houston makes more sense since you're trying to recruit there, and they've had some pretty good teams. Now they've also had some bad teams, so you don't really know what you're getting. Uh, and right. then the Arkansas right. and Florida makes more sense because, like you say, Power 5 teams need to play other Power 5 teams. So the Arkansas and Florida deals make more sense. I think that uh, Wyoming was pretty decent last year, weren't they? Yeah, I think they were all right. Uh, they weren't as good yeah. as they were a couple of years ago, two or three years ago. Well, they, they had were, Josh Allen. Yeah, and they were in the conference title game and hosted it, actually. Uh, ended yes. Up, ended yeah. up losing yeah. it, but they had, they had a really good team. So they weren't, they weren't that good. But uh, No, Bowl has done an outstanding job yeah. there. Eight, eight and five, four and four in conference. Well, I mean, that's not bad. No, it's not. It's fine. It's a good year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how many uh, off the top of my head how many guys are coming back. I can live with the Wyoming series. The Northern Illinois made zero, <laughs> zero sense. <laughs> yeah, it, it really. And, and Kyle said as much. You know, what are we going back there for? I don't know. I mean, he couldn't come out and blast it completely, but he went ahead and basically said as much. So with that, and tell Hatch that uh, our guest is waiting for his call. I just texted him. <laughs> yeah, but, he knows. Uh, While you were talking, I got told he's there. He's on. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so at least Wyoming, there's some juice there. I mean, they, that you miss those things. I mean, that that's the essence of what's lacking from BYU's schedule. Yeah, they've got a number of good teams on it, and they've got a very good schedule. There's no doubt about it. Tom has done an outstanding job with the schedule. I don't think anybody can argue. He called the shot years ago, and he's delivered. Now it's up to the team to be successful against these schedules. And But the thing about it is there's – Outside of three games, there's not much of a rival. And it's going to be fun that Wyoming week. I hope it's fun that Wyoming week because that means you're playing the game A. But to play Wyoming and to play them over there, there's going to be a lot of emotion. And there are going to be a lot of storylines. So from a fan's perspective, that'll be a fun game. DJ and PK, time to talk a little football now with Aaron Roderick, BYU passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. A-Rod, good morning. Morning, guys. How's it going? Uh, it's going all right. I was just wondering, what does a football coach do when there is no actual football to be coached? Are you buried deep in film now? Uh, football coaches everywhere are still trying to figure that out, what, they, what they're supposed to be doing right now. Um, I mean, there's a lot to get done, but there's no blueprint for this. So everybody's kind of sorting it out each day. It's really weird. So, yeah, been doing a lot of recruiting uh, remotely. And um, 
the the most important thing right now is staying in touch with your players every day to make sure uh, academically that they're keeping up because with everything being online and BYU being a tough school, um, gotta, we have to stay on top of everything every day with, with each of our our players in our position group. So that's that's number one. And then also trying to make sure that we're still staying sharp football-wise as much as we can. So I try to each week check in and make sure guys have a place to work out. And some guys are getting creative. Some guys have a place to go and some guys don't. So some guys have to be creative about that. And try to – a lot of film study as well. So, yeah, there's there's – but it's it's a weird time for sure. We've heard some coaches now come out. Uh, Bronco said it last week. Gary Anderson said. Uh, Herb Street has even gone so far as to say he's not a coach, obviously, but he's gone so far as to say that maybe it might not even be a season. Uh, with uh, you, you had I think six spring practices, and now the Pac-12 issues a thing that no team-related activities until at least May 31st. What's your thought about getting together? And how much time that the programs would need before we have to start looking at uh, possible reduction of season or pushing back of season when we get to that point? Well, I mean, every I think we've all thought about it now. It's it's uh, and it's a little scary to think about that, but I think we have to be right now. I think the better plan, at least if you're a coach, is. I think it's be prepared for a full season with a little less time than usual to get ready. And then if something were to happen to reduce the season, then you adjust to that. But I think the biggest mistake we could make as coaches is uh, to assume that it's going to be shorter or to assume that it's not, not going to happen and then not be ready for it if it does. And so um, for right now, it's just, try as hard as we can to be ready um i think that the most important thing is is once we are able to get back to somewhat something somewhat normal just for the safety of the players is just making sure everybody's in shape you know if if guys are football's a football's a physical game and as long as everybody's in good enough shape to to compete and protect themselves and uh you know play 65 snaps or whatever you know in every down player plays then yeah you know we'll adjust the coaches can adjust and we have a veteran team so i think our execution will will still be will still be good we talked to morgan scally and he said that uh they have a program for players who go on missions especially to third world countries and uh, to keep them as physically fit as possible. And he says they've kind of adapted that a little bit, but that's similar to what they have their guys doing now, that they can't go to gyms, they can't come into the weight room and do stuff they'd normally do. Everything's kind of scrambled. So I, I assume at BYU you've done something similar to that? Yeah, and I'm I'm familiar with what Morgan's talking about because you know, both, both programs have had enough guys come and go over the years on, on missions. Uh, there's a pretty good... Uh, you know, amount of data that shows that a lot, you know, guys have a tendency to get injured if you throw them, if you just throw them in with the regular 
you know, football population too early, they'll get they'll get injured. It just it just happens. And so, well, I think both programs have got similar uh, similar you know routines to get guys adjusted as quickly as possible when they get back and to and to um, get them back in the right way without without getting them injured. And so. Um, might not be exactly the same routine, but you know, you, you guys all know both of our staffs have had a lot of carryover. Even our strength staff, we've got our head strength coach worked up there, so there's a lot of a lot of experience there where we've we've just seen it so many times. Now we've got pretty good at knowing how to handle it. So Zach Wilson has had an interesting go of it at BYU. You know, he plays his second part of his first year. Uh, misses spring ball, then gets hurt, misses a good chunk of his sophomore year, missing spring ball again, not through his own accord this time, but or most of it anyway because of the situation. Uh, I don't want to say it's setting him back, but where he, where is he on the timeline of development? I think he's right on schedule. I mean, I, I you know, <laughs> he had a good freshman year. And I've said, I can't remember which, I've said this publicly a couple of times, and I'll say it again. I think that um, the bowl game, his freshman year, the, the so-called perfect bowl game, might have been the worst thing that ever happened to him because, you know, it was a great game and he played really well and it was great for our program because the uh, BYU hadn't been the bowl game for a year or two. I can't remember how long it had been, but it was, it was, uh, it was great, but it created an expectation that I think was unfair and unrealistic for anyone, especially someone who's, who, had, who was only a freshman and had only played like five games. And, and then you add on the fact that he, he, he was injured. He had a shoulder injury that had happened in high school that needed surgery. He played through it his freshman year and had to have the surgery. And so he missed the entire off season. I mean, and when I say entire off season, he a week before the Utah game, we were wondering if he could play. I mean, we kept saying, yeah, he's going to play, he's going to play, but it was getting scary. And uh, no training with the team in the offseason, no weightlifting, you know, uh, no summer conditioning. He, he, he wasn't doing anything until just a little before that game, and then he didn't play well in that game. Everybody knows that. It's no secret. And um, he still rallied, though, our team and had some huge wins last year. I mean, winning on the road at Tennessee was no small feat. And Tennessee turned out to be a good team, by the way. Everybody thought they weren't good, I guess, because we beat them or something. But they turned out to have a great, a good season, and I think they're going to be a really good team this year. And beating USC at home was a good win. And he, he had some really great uh, moments last year. But I think the ups and downs were were pretty normal, and I wasn't that surprised. I mean, he's a sophomore, and uh, you learn you learn by playing, and every quarterback goes through it. And all the great quarterbacks that have played at BYU went, went through some growing pains. Everybody just remembers the great times when they played great. Nobody remembers what, you know, everybody remembers Steve Sarkeesian just being awesome his senior year going 14-1, but they forget he was – six and five as a junior or John Beck went 
was kind of up and down, and then he was awesome for two years. And and uh, even the guys in the old days, I mean, I talked to Robbie Bosco. How he was a great player, but he had some. He told me about throwing a few interceptions that you know his first year, and and so there there was some things that uh, you know you go through that you only learn by playing, and and um, so I wasn't surprised and not making excuses for it, and he knows he's got to get better. But to me, it's just part of the process. And and uh, now, if you don't learn from it and you keep making the same mistakes, then that's that's not good. But you know, some of the things Zach went through last year, some of the mistakes he made, I thought, you know, they're just it's part of playing the game and it's part of the process that we're going through as a whole offense right now. There's a lot of those mistakes made by other players on our offense. They're just not as visible because maybe they play other positions and so um we'll keep competing with the other qbs and keep getting better so i think when you bring up the other quarterbacks and you probably know a lot of numbers that fans don't know you probably know a lot of numbers the media doesn't know either but a lot of people look at the touchdown interception ratio and baylor romney and jaron hall were a combined eight touchdowns two picks and zach was 11 touchdowns and nine picks Obviously, yeah. the interception number needs to go down, and that that ratio needs to improve. Can you say there's one or two things, or is every one of those picks something different that's got to be fixed? Um, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a couple of things there um, that we're working on. Um, one of them would be, you know, I took I take responsibility for part of it. Um, we threw some interceptions in the last two games that really skewed those numbers and um, um, a couple of them were were play calls I'd like to have back you know where they, I feel like you know I think maybe stuff we did our game plan that coach Grimes and I put together could maybe be a little better and so we look at that and then there's a couple of them there that Zach just has to own it he just has to he just has to be smarter and make a better decision and let his experience, you know, learn learn from his experience and not make that mistake next year. And then, you know, there's a couple of those interceptions in there that, uh, you know, where it's just like that's just football. You know, when you let the ball go out of your hand, there's something bad can happen. Sometimes the ball gets tipped. Sometimes a defender, a defensive lineman, you know, uh, you know, gets close to you when you're throwing it, and the ball the throws a little off. I mean, there, there's a lot of things there, but. The one, the one thing that um, we always teach and is you own every interception you throw. I mean, whether whether the receiver just flat out drops it and it gets picked, or whether you're, it's totally your fault and you threw it right to the other team, doesn't matter. We own it. We take responsibility for it. And Zach's been accountable. He's never made the excuses. And um, one of the hardest working guys on our team. And he's. He's trying to fix it. And I think one other thing that, that's worth mentioning is, again, when I said Zach having a good freshman year might have been the worst thing that happened, it's, it was also sometimes maybe uh, maybe there was a comfort level with us as coaches that maybe he could handle a little more than the other guys. And so maybe we put a little too much on his plate at times with the game plan and then when when you know Jaron or Baylor were starting it's like oh it's their first start let's have a really good simple game plan and not that they not that they're not you know they're they're smart capable guys but it's like their first game and then you know 
we had really good game plans for those guys, and they went out and played well. And so it was a good lesson for us as well that, um, you know, hey, let's not make things more complicated than they need to be for anyone in our offense. Let's simplify. Let's play fast as an offense for everyone, not just the quarterback. We're trying to we're trying to be simple um, and yet still attack the whole field. And you can you can accomplish both. And so that's that's the plan. So if I looked at the depth chart at a quarterback, would there be a distinct division between one and two and two and three, or would there be one or two ors in there? Well, Baylor, I I mean, I guess it's not a secret now, but we tried to keep it a secret at the end of last season. Baylor was injured, and he he was limping through the practice week and then dressing on game day, but really wasn't. He really was just barely available the last few games to play. And Jaron was out with a concussion. So for the last, uh, I want to say, three games, maybe four, we we were going with basically Baylor was basically doing nothing in practice and then shooting up his foot on game day and, like, trying to play. And so Zach was playing with – uh, with not much, you know, behind them at the time. And so um, that injury to Baylor still was holding him back. We, I think we got six practices in the spring, and Baylor was still didn't go full speed in any of those practices. So it was Zach and Jaron split all the reps, and um, we did not distinguish who was one or who was two. They took even reps with the ones and the twos, and – I think it's really good for the team to see all those guys compete right now. I think it's good. You know, Zach played a lot of snaps last year, but I think it's good when he's in there with the second team O line or the walk on wide receivers at times going against the going against the defense and um I think that's good for the whole team to see everybody compete like that. And so we will determine in in fall camp you know, who's one and who's two and who's three. Um, I wish Baylor could have done more in the spring. But right now, but I thought Jaron did a lot of good things, and we will continue that competition as long as, as long as we can until we have to, until somebody's clearly the guy or until we have to make a decision. Uh, we'll, you know, right now we just don't know exactly what our time frame is going to be with the way things are kind of up in the air. Tyson Williams was obviously a, a big help while he was healthy, and he was running the ball well, and the transfer portal really worked for you. What does running back look like this year? Uh, can there be any late help in the transfer portal, really for any team at any position? Is it just different this year, given that everything else that's going on? Well, you, I'm glad you said that, because losing Tyson was a huge blow. He was, he was a huge difference maker. Um, we don't beat Tennessee on the road without him. We don't beat USC at home without him. He was playing really well early in the game against Washington when he got hurt, and we were still in that game. And it, it was a – I don't want to put too much on it, but it, it took us a couple of games to uh, bounce back from losing him and to figure out answers. Sione Finau and some other guys stepped up uh, in his – in his absence later on in the Boise game and the Utah State game, but it took us a couple games to figure that out. 
And so, but as, uh, as far as grad transfers go, we have Devonte Henry Cole coming. And so, um, you know, really excited about him. I've known him since he was in high school. I didn't, Dennis Erickson recruited him, but I've, I've, I got to know him way back then when Dennis was recruiting him. And then, of course, I coached him one year, his freshman year when I was still at Utah. And um feel like he's a guy that brings something that, you know, we don't always have. And then I think we just have to expect our other players to keep getting better. I mean, I think Pini Katoa is a good player who's going to just get better. He's played a lot of football, and he's he's already a good player, and I think he's going to be a better player this year. And I think Jackson McChesney is a guy who has a lot of ability, a uh, ton of ability, and he did some good things late in the season last year. And uh, I expect him to, to do a lot of good things. And another guy that's a good player is Tyler Algier. And he came on late in the season last year and did some good things. And uh, now we're now that we have him at running back full-time, I, I think he'll do some good things, and there's some other guys there too um, that, that we're that we're um, getting reps. We were getting some reps for in spring ball. Uh, Jackson Kafusi was getting some reps and doing some good things. So we're going to be good at that position. I'm, I'm really excited about that group. How about the receiver end? You lose some guys. I've uh, been waiting for a kid like Romney to bust out. Hasn't yeah. really happened. What do you got there that you can count on or expect to count on maybe? Yeah, we lost three good players there, and they're, they're going to be hard to replace. Um, but I, I, Gunnar Romney, you just mentioned, he has a lot of ability, and he's, he's done a lot of good things for us his first two years. Um, and I just think as he – as he become, you know, plays more snaps and and becomes more of an every down player, I think people are going to see what he's really capable of. He's he's uh, and he's another one. I think maybe the expectations for him were maybe a little unfair. He came in with a lot of hype, and he he does have a lot of ability. And he was he played in a a very good high school program, and he played as a true freshman for us, and he's done a lot of good things, but. I expect this to be the year where the game really slows down for him, and he's he should be a guy that's not coming off the field unless you know rarely coming off the field. I think he's a someone who has a chance to be a really good really good player for us and then Dax Milne is another one who's played a lot of football he's a freshman but he he's, he played a lot for us as a freshman uh freshman walk on and then did a lot of good things last year I and mean, people remember he had a huge touchdown in the in the USC game um, and, and did a lot of good things, and I think he's another one. And then um, I got my fingers crossed for Neil Pau because I've been saying since I got here, Neil, Neil is one of the most talented players in our program, and he's had his moments where he's shown that, and uh, I still believe in him. I've, I, I, I've known him since he was in high school. When I was at Utah, he was at Silverite High School in Orange County and where I recruit, and um Tons of ability, and he is a talented, talented guy. And he's big, and he's fast, and just he's, he's got a lot of potential. And uh, so, I think Neil is, you know, I don't want to say too much, but I, I, he's he's had been through some tough times, and I think he is ready to have a great season. And we're excited to put him in positions to do things for us that maybe fans haven't seen in a while and so he he's 
he's got some ability, but he's got to prove it, and he's got to. Um, he's he's just. I, I don't want to say too much until he does it, but I I, I like him a lot. Obviously, you guys were uh, good in the clutch and late in the games against Tennessee and USC. But when you look at yeah. losses, Toledo, South Florida, Hawaii, three, three, tr- not just three road games, but three long road trips. And I realize Tennessee was too. But you outscored 34-3 yeah. in the fourth quarter of those games, and you lost all three of them, and they were all three there for the taking. None of them were blowouts. They were all very competitive. So when you got this extra downtime now, do you look at the way you travel, the way you prepare, conditioning, everything to try to figure out what went wrong? Because it's hard to say that any of those games were lost purely on talent. You were in position to win them all. Yeah, the travel, I, I don't really think the travel is a factor in any of those three games. We, should, we, we feel like we should have won those games, and we didn't. So, the, you know, as a coach... If you're, I think any coach that's worth anything, the first thing you do is you look at yourself and say, well, you know, how can I coach better? What, what could I have done? What could I have done better? You know, I'm not going to blame the the road trip or the the plane or the hotel, or definitely not going to blame the players. The uh, first thing you do as a coach is look at what can we do better. And we've done a lot of soul searching about those games. We, you know, we analyze every single snap of the season. And um, I, I think, you know, people hear that, but I don't know if they really know, like, how much we really look into every single little play of the entire season. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that we take very seriously. And so we, we lost a couple of games we, we shouldn't have lost, and we're doing everything we can to correct those things. And we look at ourselves first, and then we look at how, how can we uh, use our players better? How you know? How can we put our players in better position to win those games? And you're right, though there is a theme there that we we uh, we blew a lead in the fourth quarter, and in, in, in uh, you know particularly the the Toledo and South Florida game. And I think um, the big answer, the bigger answer on those two games was just we to stay aggressive. And we learned we learned that you know we got to stay aggressive offensively. And keep pushing the ball down the field. When we when we uh, started pushing the ball down the field more, and you know in the Boise Utah State games, and we went on a I think it was a five game win streak after those one of those losses. I can't remember which one was the second one, but um, the lesson was to be aggressive offensively. And so you know that was it was a good lesson for us, and we'll keep. We'll keep trying to do that. And the, the Hawaii game I view differently. I mean, that was a different kind of game where it was kind of more of a track meet. Both teams were scoring and going up and down the field. And uh, we got to take better care of the ball. We we lost that game. We we turned the ball over uh, three times in that game. And two of them, you know, one of them was right on the goal line where we got to get the ball across the goal line, and we, we coughed it up. And and uh, we had a couple of costly interceptions in that game, but they got – they got points off of one of them, and the other one was the the play that closed out the game. So, um, different, you know, different problems, but we're we're working on it. And man, we replay it all the time, relive it, and and we're always trying to get better. Well, hey Rod, we appreciate you joining us here this morning for a little bit, and uh, 
Good luck watching film the rest of the day while you try to figure out what a football coach is supposed to do under these circumstances. You guys must be trying to figure out what radio guys are supposed to do, too, because we've been in quarantine for like a month and you finally had me on, so you must be running out of people <laughs> to talk to. <laughs> You guys are getting bored, I can tell. <laughs> okay, the bored part we'll plead guilty to, but running out of people to talk to, never. <laughs> never. Yeah, all right, guys. All right, thanks, A-Rod. Um, I'm here for you anytime. Okay. Aaron Roderick, BYU passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach, joining us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.